there, I'm Vicki Howell, and this is Craftish. This episode is sponsored by Makers Mercantile. Makers Mercantile is a space for fueling your creativity, inspiring you to make using any medium you feel passionate about. Their online shop carries supplies for sewing, weaving, knitting, crochet, dyeing, and more. Plus, they have curated gifts, books, craft storage, and apparel. I think you kind of get the idea. This is pretty much a crafty haven. And this week, they're offering listeners 20% off of all Stenzo textiles if you use the code VickiMakes at checkout. I'll be sure to put a link on the show notes page so you can easily get to fabric shopping after you listen to this podcast, of course. Or you can just get there on your own by going to makersmercantile.com. This week, I had the absolute pleasure of meeting Ray Hookstra, the founder of the wildly successful sewing website Made by Ray. Ray and I talked about how leaving her former career as a physics teacher to focus on being a mom inadvertently led her to start the blog that would ultimately redefine her professional path. We also discussed how the definition of feminism as we were taught it in the 80s has evolved a bit and about how her community of sewing followers has greatly influenced the type of business she's chosen to nurture. I found Ray to be a creative being who's also a smart businesswoman, a parent who seems to have her priorities straight, and an interesting person who's open to hearing and sharing ideas. Let's meet her now. Ray Hookstra, thank you so much for being on Craftish. Hi, Vicky. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I have been, um, I have been sort of like cyber stalking for forever. I'm, I'm such a fan of your work. Um, and I, I, I was researching just for this particular interview, and I came across something, um, an interview that you did. Oh gosh, maybe almost ten years ago now, for oh a. <laughs> oh, I'm going in already. Oh wow, uh, you know, or maybe, or maybe scared. not quite so long. Maybe, maybe it was only 2010. But um, I, I think it was a site called VeryShannon.com, and oh, you were yeah. talking, you were talking about something that really resonated with me and my, the beginning of my sort of crafty career and so I thought it might with some of our listeners and regardless of whether or not they're considering having a creative career themselves but I think it's just something that we deal with as women you talked about how you went from having a career you know another career which we'll talk about later as a physics teacher and then you know suddenly becoming this mommy person and feeling like you're sitting in a room with a you know, a little human being that just smiles and giggles, but all of a sudden you, you no longer, you said, or you went from being a household earner to a freeloader. Oh yeah. And, and, and I think that's so unique to our overall generation. I think you're a bit younger than I am, but I think it sort of started, you know, maybe over the past, you know, 15, 20 years as sort of the, or really maybe just an entire generation where the role of women has changed and we're really trying to do it all now and expected to do it all. And before I get into talking talking to you about it, just because this is our first time meeting, I'll share with you that I had the exact same experience. Um, mine, mine was a different career. I was in the entertainment industry. But all of a sudden finding myself at home because I was laid off when I was maybe 14 weeks pregnant, um, finding myself at home with this tiny human who literally like redefined who I was as a person at that point, you know, before I kind of figured out how to 
to to see past that and just needing needing something else to pour myself into and it was kind of before blogs i want to say this was maybe 2001 or or whatever but i did i i also started i started a website called mm-hmm. Mamarama, and it was handmade sort of wares for moms and babies and a, a lot of sewn goods and that type of thing. But I just needed that outlet. And from the interview that I read of you so many years ago, or I read about you, um, it sounded like you were in that same space. And I wonder if you could just start, I know I'm asking you to go back a bit, but <laughs> yeah. I wonder if you could just start um, sharing that experience that transitional experience and also what blogging as now they call them mommy bloggers but I think then we just called them being us and showing our business and our lives if you would just speak a little bit to about that transition and about what having the opportunity to reach out to a community that's outside of the four walls and the diaper changing um, yeah what it gave to you yeah okay um yeah because I did have this very um very stressful you know kind of very intellectual stimulating job um you know teaching high school and and then going from that um you know to having this sense of of like okay now I'm at home and I have nothing to do but to stare at this baby yeah (laughs) and I feel like that's yeah that was such a it's interesting how that's become such a shared experience from, you know, between mommy bloggers and um, those of us who started blogs sort of in that era. I think I, I quit my job um, teaching in 2007, I think. Um, yes, that sounds right. Um, I was trying to figure out, my son was born in 2007 and I quit right before he was born, yeah. So, um, so yeah, there was this, um, this, feeling that I had, I think, growing up and as go- I went through college that I should have, like, you know, a career. And my parents were very, um, very much about, like, you know, do something, you know, that fills you and have, you know, have a job, you know. Um, I think I received a very um, pro-feminist message from my parents growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I think that I... I really struggled, <laughs> you know, when all of a sudden it was like, okay, I don't, I don't have that anymore. I don't have this thing that I did that I'm really proud of. And, and I was really proud of my accomplishments as a teacher. I, you know, I had figured out how to teach physics and I, you know, I had high schoolers that I'd, I'd been kind of scared of high schoolers <laughs> before I started mm-hmm. teaching. Um, and, you know, I got my master's, I taught AP physics, which was really difficult, um, and my students did really well. So it was like, I had all these things that I felt like, you know, and oh, and I was even, I was participating in this research um, project at the University of Washington with William McDermott. So it's like, I had all these things that I That's felt like That's a huge change for you. Wow. Yeah. And and I remember the one thing like that I, I realized kind of early on after I had Elliot, my son, was that. I didn't have anywhere to go except the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, you know, I used to have this work that I could just leave and go. And now, and I, and I said to my husband, Nate, I was like, you have the office. Like, yeah. I don't have anywhere. I'm here. Like, this is, this is where I am. Uh, so I, I guess I just sort of felt like there was this, yeah, just like a total difference. And the other thing I think that you don't think about when you have children or when you decide to have children is that if you don't have friends who also have children or someone you're related to who also has children that you know learning how to hang out with 
people is going to be difficult. And so I also had no social life because I had been teaching. I had all these friends who were teachers and, you know, they were professionals and they were working full time. And now here I was during the day with nothing to do except look at those babies. So, yeah, there was definitely like a social you know, so I go to the library to try to meet other moms and like, <laughs> it was like, what do I do with myself, you know, and how do I keep myself busy? <laughs> yeah. So I, you yeah. know, and I did make a lot of friends just like, just sort of like inserting myself into library play groups or, you know, going to the little gymnastics toddler time. And like, that's how I met a lot of other moms who were doing it, but I didn't have, um, I didn't have that. And I remember in the very beginning, you know, I'd see these, I was in a town, a very sort of small town. That's a suburb of Detroit, Plymouth. Um, it's a very cute little downtown. And there were all these other moms and they would go downtown in herds like with their strollers yeah. and they'd go get coffee and I'd see them at Panera Bread. And it, it was hard for me. I, I really struggled because it made me really sad because I was like, I, I need that. I want that, but I don't know how to get that. Um, and so, yeah, blogging for me was definitely that outlet. And then, you know, to be able to kind of connect to people who, um, you know, at the time, a lot of the bloggers were mommy blog, you know, kind of people, but we also had a lot in common. It seemed like a lot of them had tech husbands because we wouldn't have been able to have a blog if we didn't have a husband who was in tech. So a lot of us had this sort of like nerd guy thing, um, you know, sort of backing yeah. us up. Yeah. So like we had a lot of these commonalities, you know, we had children, we, we loved to sew, we were, you know, into, you know, there was also this sort of geek aspect of it. Um, and so there were a lot of commonalities and, and that was really, that was really refreshing um, to kind of feel like I had that online. So I kind of remember too, I mean, it's interesting Interesting. I'm sure that this is sort of like an age-old problem for any working women that, you know, then stopped their career or paused their career so they can have children. But just now we're able to talk about it on a global level because of the internet. But also, the other thing is that when you do meet moms... Be, having motherhood in common doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna isn't doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna have anything else in common, which is another right. level of struggle. And I remember personally, like, I mean, almost like stalking these groups to find the <laughs> find a, <laughs> yeah. find another mom with a cool haircut. Yes, or yes. I mean, you like know? particular tattoo. I mean, it's hilarious. It's almost like mommy profiling. <laughs> but just so, trying but to find true. something, some some nugget of a window, like a glimpse of right. sisterhood. I remember writing an essay years ago for, I don't know, there was so much, I was into all these like subculture mom zines or whatever, and it was called mm -hmm. Where the Hell's My Village, you know, yeah, because yeah. I just didn't, you know, I just, I, I just didn't see it. I saw a sea of tiny gold crosses and, and, and yeah. things that I, you know, no disrespect, but just was not my vibe. And I just, yeah. I remember feeling that and I feel so grateful now for this generation of mom that has the internet that they can you know search up you know on facebook they can look for local mom groups or there's yes. meetups or yeah. whatever and it's such a i think it's such a gift that we have now mm -hmm. yeah oh definitely definitely you yeah I, I felt the same way <laughs> exactly the same way <laughs> you mentioned that you were that you were getting a very pro feminist uh message from your parents and i I think that 
the message that if you were getting the same one that I was getting, I think I think that the message then was different than it was now. I remember having a T-shirt that when I was like seven that said, uh, girls can do anything, boys can do better, which was so empowering in like the 80s. And now and now like moms would be like, that is disrespectful to boys, you know, and right. I'm a mother of boys. I would also be like, well, <laughs> right, right. Um, so I'm wondering yeah. if the message that you were getting then was empowering then but very different like our counter like antithetical to the message as feminists that we try to teach now about and i'm going back to the point of of your comment about feeling like you were now a freeloader (laughs) yes (laughs) uh yeah i right because i think the idea was that you were a feminist at least i i feel like the message i got was you were a feminist if you had a career and you you made a name for yourself professionally. Whereas now I feel like now that I'm a mother and I'm, you know, I've done this sort of crafty thing, which is sort of much more domestic, right? I mean, almost in a sense, if you don't understand feminism can be kind of misconstrued as anti-feminist. Um, I think there's a difference now in how we, how we think about feminism and that it's more about being able to choose what you want and do it, you know, like having the choice. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> I think um, as opposed to just having this sort of message of you have to be a man, like you have to try and do what men do. It's not so much about that anymore as no, you need to be able to be free to do what you want to do, to choose what you do and be successful at what you're doing. Not necessarily just to imitate a man, um, I think is maybe how I think of it now. Um, and also having the choices. I think I think the ultimate definition of feminism is the choice to make your own choices. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the ability, yes, exactly. the ability. Right, um, right, yeah. And I think it's funny because I went into, so my dad was, um, a pharmaceutical research chemist and I had very I had a lot of uh, like uncles and grandpas who were um, chemists um, and or in science or you know some sort of um, field that was related to science um, and I was also very artistic as a child I loved to sew and I loved to draw I loved to paint um, and, and so I always and I was very musical we had like, my dad was even very musical and my mom like so there was a lot of music there was a lot of art but there was a lot of science and to me, the science seemed like the professional thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. So the art and music was sort of like, okay, that's like, you know, that's sort of not a real career, you know, <laughs> you wanted to be an artist or so like, but I just, I never considered it. And so when it came time to decide what I wanted to do for college, it was like, well, of course, I'm going to major in biology and chemistry, chemistry, physics, whatever. Um, and, you know, now looking back on that, it's like, why didn't I follow Like, I loved so many things that were artistic and creative but I didn't see that as a viable option, partly because I had this idea yeah. in my head of what I should do. And it's interesting. It's like, yeah, I felt like I had a choice, but I was really not choosing these things that eventually ended up being very passionate about and realizing like, oh, this is what you do in your spare time. This is like so much a, like it's not even a hobby because you love it. You know, it's like this should be your job because you love it so much. You do it even when you're not working. Like, you know, now I realize that, but it, it's hard to see that when you're a kid and, you know, you have this sort of like idea of what you should be doing. You know? Well, and also, and I, you know, I had this conversation with the um, co-founder of Spoonflower uh, for this podcast a, a few months yeah, ago yeah. where we were, where we were talking about how, 
you know, at our like school job fairs and college fairs, there weren't people from yarn companies and fabric companies, you know, coming to recruit. Huh. Right, right. I didn't know yeah. this was a job. And, right. and honestly, what my job now probably wasn't that much of a thing. But what there right. there were plenty of jobs if you wanted to have a typical, you know, you know, with an IRA, like with a 401k. Yeah. And with the you know, you could you can actually work for a corporation that's creative. I didn't right. even think about I didn't even consider that much, let alone right. all of the sort of like indie startup stuff that you can do now that wasn't really a thing then. Right. Um, yeah. So I think no, part of it neither. was just it just wasn't in the zeitgeist. Right, right. No, definitely. Yes. And that is the wonderful thing, I mean, about the whole online, you know, creative explosion is that there's just so much, there's so many great opportunities now. I, I just love that. <laughs> so you were teaching so physics, <laughs> you were teaching physics, and you, so how, what's the difference? My mom's a high school teacher as well. And I, we, we, she was just here visiting and we were talking about how she was happy, you know, how happy it made her that I was also a teacher in a way, which I don't necessarily consider myself because I'm always teaching, you know, online, online courses mm -hmm. or, or through video yeah. or whatever. But she's correct. But to me, it's such a different experience. And I wondered, since you've, you've now done both, you've been in a classroom, you know, with a bunch of teenagers teaching a very like finite subject and now you've also taught for creative bug online mm -hmm. where you don't have a classroom well i don't know do they have a few people or do they just teach i've actually not worked with them do they just teach to the camera or do you have a small classroom uh you teach to the camera yeah, okay in, so you've yeah. got that so you're you've you've taken that element out of it but also even though there is some precision and some math involved in sewing, it's way it can be way more freeform. And I, I mm. wondered if you would just compare your your teaching styles. Do they compare? Huh. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there are still a lot of similarities. I, I mean, I also teach. I have taught a number of local classes here in Ann Arbor, um, and I, I just did a sewing lab at the the local library last week, um, teaching a hemming you know demonstration. Um, and so. Yeah, I mean, there are some similarities. I think, you know, having the command of the room um, when there are people present and knowing how to organize and structure a presentation in such a way to keep people's interest. <laughs> um, you know, having a good balance of, you know, I'm instructing now, but now we're going to try it. Um, I think a lot of those things are similar. There's a lot of, and just, you know, you kind of know a natural teacher when you see one, when it comes to the, just the sort of, the way that you, that you talk or present, you know, there's just, and I don't mean a natural teacher necessarily in the way that, you know, some people have it, some people don't. It's just something you learn after you've taught for a while is this sort of, um, you know, you need to kind of manage uh, the people that are there in a way. Right. That sounds right. terrible, but, you know, you have to kind of do with, you know, with high schoolers, it's behavior management. With adults, there is a little bit of that as well, just sort of like reading people and figuring out like, okay, who's happy, who's bored. Um, and so... Adults have way more expectations out of the experience they as do. well. They yes, yes. Yeah. And they can, they're they're much more willing to say exactly how they feel and because they feel, you know, they're not worried about what you're going to think mm -hmm. of them or give them a grade or whatever, which is great, you know. So you do get a lot more feedback and um, in that way. So I, I don't know, there are, I wouldn't say like, I wouldn't say they're totally different, but you're right that um, when you're teaching to a camera, I mean, that is just completely a totally different thing. Um, and I had done a fair amount of local teaching, you know, and I'd done high school teaching, but nothing really prepared me for, for standing in front of a camera. That was like a crash course in 
um, in, you know, filming what I imagine is how all online, online teachers do this, you know, for television. Um, and that was really, really interesting to me. Um, that was, was that, was that was your first so time in fun. front of a camera? Yeah, that was my first time in front of a camera. And I just, I loved it. It was so much fun. Like it was, it was like the most fun I've had all year, <laughs> all decade. No, that's not true. Um, but it was really, it was really fun, partly because I, you know, I felt like I was just learning something new for yeah. the first time. You know, I've been doing this now, this blog thing and the teaching thing it's like yeah like you know it's it changes and it's different but you know I feel like I I know what I'm doing but with creative bag it was like this is something totally different that I've never done before and it really pushed me um and I had to learn quick you know because you're you're on camera and you have to figure out how to deliver the lines and then deliver them again and then deliver them again um each time making it like it's the first time and then Mm -hmm. Just, you know, I, and I was really lucky. I had a great team um, that I worked with, the, the camera guys, and then I had an artist coach, and they were all there in the room with me, like, helping me. And, you know, they're like, you're okay, because <laughs> you know, it was embarrassing, too, to kind of put yourself up in front of that. And um, so, no, that was really fun. But, yeah, it's very, very different from high school. <laughs> I, think, I think the biggest lesson I learned when I first started out in TV was, you know, about feeling less pressure in that way was realizing that everybody else was also doing their job and not necessarily staring at me I mean they are but they're not but only in the way like oh wait do I have the sound right do I have the shot right do I have the and once I sort of realized that everybody had their own job and it wasn't really all about me it took like this huge weight off of me yeah and that was like a major that was a major break for me do you think though that there's less pressure on did you feel less less pressure on being in front of a camera because we all have camera phones now and and then there's YouTube and there's Snapchat and there's there like maybe you're not giving a big presentation on camera but we've all probably been in front of some form of a camera in one respect or another in a way that we wouldn't have even 10 years ago. Or no, um, or is it just yeah. like no? I mean, this I was, was totally I had different. Filmed, I yeah, I I'm thinking, I'm trying to think about. That. I had filmed a couple of um, you know like iPhone video tutorials for my blog. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had been I had done that. You know, sort of stood up and sort of pretended to do an online class, except it was my own campy little <laughs> recording. And, was this for um, your Vimeo videos? Uh, yeah. So I have okay. a couple of Vimeo videos online. Um, they're yeah, they're accessible on my blog through the different. There's a couple of different patterns that they go with there's a, a washi dress that has some videos and then there's a ruby uh, dress that also has some videos and those two um on the washi page and the ruby page respectively have uh, links to them um that you can go and watch um on my blog but uh they they were a little more um yeah like you know almost no editing and, and that kind of thing so it was like off the cuff did it in almost one take you know and then mm-hmm. okay well now I gotta stop because I gotta move something but now I'm gonna do this in another take so um I felt like I had a little bit of experience um but I think the thing that gave me the most confidence going into create a bug was just my experience teaching high school I, I know I keep coming back to that but yeah. it was like you know being able to stand up in front of a room of you know, like 25, 30 high schoolers or, you know, even worse, their parents when they have the open house night. Um, And they come and they all sit there and stare at you quietly. Um, I think those, like just getting over those nerves. And then, you know, even going back to, you know, my musical upbringing, I had, you know, music teachers who would make us, you know, get up in front of a jury and, you know, do juried performances um, or, you know, recitals. Those things like really taught me how to get past like the nerves. Um, And so I don't don't think um 
necessarily shooting my own video prepared me as much for it as that. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think that's a really nice testament um, to a common theme that I've come across for this podcast is how life experience, whether it be education or just, you know, life in general, can often supplement this career that you didn't expect to have in the future, that even unrelated um, things that have occurred in your life can really be a huge asset to who you become. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. And and that's why when people say, oh, it's so different, it's like, well, it is different, but I use so many of the same skills that I had before, which is fun. <laughs> so you started writing your blog and at that point, why choose sewing to talk about versus science or anything else that you were interested in? Um, so, well, I, so I started two blogs. One was the, you know, here's like baby pictures of Elliot for relatives and friends. Um, and that was like, you know, one of these private blogspot blogs that you had to have a password to get into. Um, and so that was sort of the first blog I started. But um, one of the reasons I started the sewing blog was because when he was born, everything for boys was so ugly. Yeah. And it was just like, I really hated, and, and again, this kind of goes back to my feminist, you know, my feelings of like, I'm, you know, kind of raising this boy in this sort of like, at that time, I mean, the clothing was just so bad. It was like, you know, you'd put boys in these onesies that had footballs on them. Mm -hmm. Like, if you liked sports, it was okay. But if you didn't, if you weren't into sports, it was like, there was nothing, you know? It was, it was just like, well, I don't really want to put him in a ruffled onesie, although I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> or a dress. Yeah. But I, you know, it, it was just like, I just wanted something more gender neutral for him. Um, and so I started sewing for him again, um, when I say again, just because I had sewn kind of all my life, um, as you know, my mom had taught me and, um, I sewed a little bit, not very much in college, but a little bit after college, even when I was teaching and I would start making like, you know, especially when I was teaching and in my twenties, you know, friends were getting married and having babies. And so I would make, you know, bibs and pants and, you know, just little gifts, you know, baby gifts and stuff. And so when I had Elliot, it was like, okay, well, you know, I want some baby pants that aren't navy or khaki. Right. So I'm going to try and, you know, figure out how I can do this. And and this was sort of right around when, you know, Amy Butler um, and, you know, the, like, the beginnings of the, the yeah. fabric design yeah. revolution. Kind of. um, and so there were Don't a lot Don't you feel of, like Amy Butler really shattered a couple of, this, like a oh couple of stereotypical yes. ceilings? I just <laughs> so, love her. So many ways. I know. Me too. And she's such a sweetheart. She's too. a I mean, doll. She's just like the nicest person She ever. once oh offered to let me just like crash on her hotel room floor if I wanted to come to a convention. <laughs> and I'd only met her. I believe like, it. Like once at a conference and then interviewed her for a book. Like she's delightful. I totally believe it. I totally, I love her. I, yeah. And it's just like, when you look at what she did um, for like fabric design and how many people have the same thread of, you know, I saw these fabrics and then I thought, okay, now I want to sew, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or, um, you know, Which there is was the so biggest much compliment you could ever give. Right, right exactly yes yeah exactly so you know she had some prints that were you know that were usable as boy prints um and that's kind of what I started with and then you know I would just put pictures online and um you know that sort of thing or like I made a bit I think my very first blog post actually was a baby dress that I made for someone else's friend so and at this point became... were you using other people's patterns or were you already drafting your own um I was I was definitely um, drafting my own at this point because, 
I don't know why I figured this out, but I, I guess I just sort of like, I knew the basic silhouettes. And so I would just sort of sketch on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. like how I thought a piece of like a baby pant should be. Um, and I definitely had, you know, simplicity or Butterick or McCall's patterns, like in my closet, in my sewing room, I was using some of those, but it always felt like there was something I needed to change, you know? Um, and like the baby sizing seemed weird and really big or, you know, so I would always just sort of think, oh, well, this is so simple. I'll just, you know, I'll just draw it. And then I would, you know, be this literally like a Sharpie on a piece of paper. Um, and that literally, I mean, you can still find a free download on my blog. It's kind of embarrassing. That is like <laughs> a Sharpie on a piece of paper that I scanned in um, because I didn't know design software either when I started um, blogging and I had to teach But I don't think that was expected that. then. And I think that people no. were so grateful to even have that right. where did you get that where'd you get that sort of feel that creative confidence to that creative freedom to just draw yourself did your mom used to draw out her own patterns or did you just no I don't know I'm not sure exactly because you know she taught me the very I I don't want to call it traditional but the method that I think a lot of us learned if we did learn from our mothers which was go to the fabric store pick out your simplicity pattern pick out your fabric go home cut it all out you know pin the tissue to the fabric, you know, choose your size and make. So that, you know, I've been, that has always been my sort of like starting point for learning to sew for myself. Um, but I don't remember her doing that. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> no, that's okay. Sure. I just, I love, I love, I love when people are willing to just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I just, I just always thought, well, I know the shapes. I know what an arm, you know, an armhole should look like, or I know what a pant leg should look like, or I know what a bodice looks like. You know, it's like you just draw it out. And, and to me, the scientific part of me was like, well, I just need to measure my baby or measure my arm or measure my whatever part of my body I need to fit it around. And then just make sure there's enough extra room. So, you know, that was that part of it, um, you know, that was sort of scientific, too, is just sort of, okay, just measure across this thing and make sure it's going to fit. So so you post a pattern for, what was the first pattern that you posted? So was it the dress the, or was it the yeah, baby pants? Yeah, I think it was the baby dress, which at that time was called the Itty Bitty Baby Dress, and it was just like a really, really small, tiny newborn dress. Um, I think that was the first, yeah, the first pattern was that Sharpie pattern, um, and that's still there. Um, and then I think the second one may have been the buttercup bag. And that one was the one that kind of like blew up a little bit, you know, like it, I think I posted it on So Mama So, um, and <laughs> my friends, Christian and Beth's uh, website, it's, that was really big, you know, when we started, um, and it's still a really huge site with all kinds of awesome stuff. Um, but the community there was Flickr based and I think you know, a lot of people picked up on that purse and then made yeah. that. And that was another sort of free, you know, something I put up and thought, oh, this is kind of dumb, but maybe people want to make it. And a lot of people did. And I think that was sort of how I grew my audience. Um, and I sort of realized like, oh, this is, you know, this brings people to the site. And, um, you know, it's not that hard to do. You know, these are fairly simple things. These are not things that you necessarily would pay for. Um, although as I did this more, I started to realize, um, I think after I released the buttercup bag, another purse maker emailed me and she was like, why are you giving this away for free? You know, this is something you, you should be charging for. Um, and when I, when I heard that, I felt kind of bad because then I realized like, oh, when you give stuff away for free, you 
can infringe on someone else's market. And I, I, I mean, those are not words I would have used at the time, but it made me sensitive to that idea that, you know, just making something for free and posting it um, can make it harder for somebody else to make a living. Even though um, it feels like you're contributing to a community, it but it really, yeah. and, but that's, I mean, we're still in the wild west. I, I say this all the time, the wild <laughs> west of the internet, right? And there hasn't yeah. been etiquette for those types of things. I know. I, yeah. And, and yeah. And it's so a I tough, feel like it's a tough call because you were probably giving something to yourself by just being able to, like, you're finding your new, like your new new career sea legs, even if you didn't know that at the time? Right, right, exactly, yes. And it was something that was, I think, necessary yeah. um, to put out there so that, you know, I could grow an audience, you know? So there is there are reasons to give things away for free, and, and people are so um, encouraging and, and grateful, especially if they can't, you know, afford to buy a lot of patterns or whatever, and it gives the people a chance to try something out without necessarily have to commit to it. There's, I mean, there's so many good reasons mm-hmm. to do things for free. Um, but yeah, you're right. There isn't a whole lot of etiquette. And um, when I've had people email me to ask me, you know, like, oh, I, I'm thinking about doing this, sometimes I'll say, well, you know, don't, don't do that for free. If, you know, if it's going to take you a lot of like time and work, like think about what you have to put into that yeah. and whether, you know, what's the value of your time and your talent and, you know, th- think carefully about it because it turns out that giving away things for free isn't free. Once you put it out there, there's a lot of work associated yeah, with so the people much. who have questions about it. And, you know, if there are issues and helping people who've never done it before, it's like, you know, now you've got customer service for something that is free. <laughs> well, and the and, other challenge is, is that, and this is something, you know, as you, and I, I don't know if it's the same in the sewing industry, so I'll, I'm just going to use the knitting industry as 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 an example here but as you get better you're probably being hired by yarn companies so say fabric companies to design for them so they're paying you for that pattern but the pattern might be free so that they can sell yarn or sell fabric well that's that can also hurt an independent person but at the same time you're an independent person and you're actually making money but the audience doesn't know that to them they just see it's the same they see a free pattern here and they see a free pattern on the blog and so my challenge right now um, because there's value in most I'm really you know focused on making sure that designers are being paid a livable wage and I'm trying to work with um with a company to create some kind of um, like a brand, like a symbol that can go on patterns to say that even if it's free, this pattern was tech edited and the designer was paid mm-hmm. a livable wage. Just so it'll oh. be, you know, just like if you look on the package to see if something's organic so that yeah. so that you create for the audience. Because the audience, I mean, how are they going to know? How are they going to know right. unless we teach right. them? They're still going to get yeah. their free content, but they can say like, ooh, this doesn't have that symbol on it. This doesn't have that insignia on it. So... Maybe I'm not going to go this route because I don't know that this person was actually paid well for the, you know. Right, right. It's going to take a long time. But that's sort of where I am personally right now because we we all are – we're all the pioneers for this particular, like – Whatever right. it is, career path that we've all created, these, you know, these internet-based careers. Yeah. No, that's really interesting that you say that. Yeah, I was asked to do a multi-sized um, kid t-shirt pattern once by a very large fabric manufacturer. Um, and they were they were so nice. That, you know, they're like, we want to put this out for, you know, this free t-shirt pattern. And I said, well, you know, and, and, and I'm sure they would have paid me. Um, but I said, well, I don't really want to do that because I'm also trying to sell a multi-size t-shirt pattern in my, mm-hmm. in my shop. And, you know, I, if I do that, then I've got, you know, I'm basically made or designed two multi-size t-shirt patterns. And, 
you know, yours is for free because you want to promote your fabric. You want, you're hoping that people will buy more fabric if they have this free pattern. Yeah. But I'm hoping to sell more patterns. I, I earn off of each pattern that's sold. You know, once the fabric, you know, for me, it's like, well, once you sell that fabric line, you know, or whatever, it's gone, it's done. There's no more fabric left. But this pattern will keep on selling for me. Yeah. So trying to figure out a dollar amount that I could charge to make that worthwhile, it's like, well, that's really hard to do because that T-shirt will continue to earn for me and now it's got to compete with this freebie and I explained it they were so gracious about it so nice and you know I don't know what they ended up doing but it was just one of those situations where I was like I don't think they had necessarily thought it through and I think a lot of manufacturers of supplies fabric yarn um you know whatever they see patterns as a way to commodity people to buy more of their yeah but you know for pattern makers it's like well this is this is my bread and butter if every manufacturer of fabric puts out all these free sewing patterns well then we can't make money on our sewing patterns so there's definitely a tension there um and And i I, I definitely feel that defining defining what your particular Defin- the definition of what of your particular career is also important because some designers don't plan on making their bread and butter from patterns. They might have different sites on mm-hmm. multiple fabric lines or being the spokesperson right. for a big company or whatever. And that's or sponsorship. There's great or, value yes. in that too. And that's the other sort of yes. conundrum that adds another obstacle because that's just as valid mm-hmm. of a career choice of of you know a punk yeah. rock career choice to live your dream as making your living selling individual patterns. And so it's it's an it'll be interesting to see how it all levels out so we as a community can support all of those choices while still having consumers get it too. (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh, yes. There's so many options. I mean, you can diversify in so many ways. You can find all these different avenues to make a living. And yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's, I think it's about just choosing the avenue that feels right to you that doesn't feel weird or creepy or salesperson-y or whatever, you know, um, that feels fundamentally like this is something I identify with. And then also, um, you know, that you love it, you know, you don't want to be doing something that makes a lot of money, but then you just sort of feel like, oh, man, this is work, you know? Um, And that's ultimately, yeah, I felt like I've definitely had to make that choice about, okay, I could make money this way, but this just doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. (laughs) I want to do this instead. And that's where I've landed, you know? Your pattern, um, the washi dress, is has reached epic proportions as far it's pretty much broken the internet <laughs> in the fabric world. talk a little bit about let's take a leap from you know you have you have you know a baby pattern that that's done pretty well and then you have this bag pattern that blows up thanks to so mama so talk about the transition from this be being sort of just something this blog to just really sort of fill your creative soul to this becoming you know, your, your career. And I guess talk about first, I've sort of asked you three questions in one, talk about the transition (laughs) into going into patterns that have to be graded like a dress would, um, Mm -hmm. which means learning software. And then if there was a tipping point for you, for you to when when there was that realization, like, oh, this is this is kind of my thing, like, this might be my thing. Professionally. Yeah, so I had, um, I think, okay, let's start with (laughs) moving into multi-size patterns, because that jump from doing a bag uh, or a purse or whatever um, to doing something that's multi-size is is pretty significant, I think. Um, 
And for me, I kind of eased into it a little bit because I started with children's. So before I did any, um, before I did the washi dress, which was my first women's pattern, um, I had done a few children's patterns um, because I felt more comfortable doing the grading. And so I had started out with Inkscape, which is a free um, open source software equivalent of Illustrator and taught myself how to use that um, even way back when I was doing my scans and, you know, doing downloads that way. Um, like the buttercup bag. Uh, that's how I, you know, first learned to digitize, but then it's how I also first learned to grade. And I, I started using that software because you can scale up and scale down. Um, and measurements, you know, body measurements to figure out how to make children's patterns multi-sized. So at that point, it was still, you know, you could still make a children's pattern with like four to six sheets of paper, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> uh, it wasn't as big, you know, and so I think it was sort of a gradual process for me of here's, you know, this like children's thing. Okay, now it's a little more complicated children's thing. Okay, now it's, you know, pants or whatever. And, and so I did sort of gradually get more and more complicated with the children's stuff as I think mainly a way to just challenge myself, you know, these were things I was sewing for my kid, and then people wanted them. And so it was like, okay, I'll figure out how to grade that and, you know, make it into multiple children's sizes. Uh, Washi was a bit more of a leap, though, because uh, it was women's and, you know, women are a lot curvier than children. And so there's a lot less wiggle room as far as, um, you know, getting something to look good or, or fit well. Um, and there was the additional challenge with washi of I wanted to create a dress pattern that could be used with quilting cotton. And I think at the time that was just sort of like, you know, a lot of the independent dressmaker pattern makers uh, out there were using apparel fabrics. And I did not have the same places to go in Michigan. There weren't places you could go to get really good apparel fabrics. Plus the and prints on the quilted cotton fabrics were yes, so monumentally cool. Yes, they were. And that was the thing. It was like, okay, I want to wear this, yeah. but I don't know how. And when I use like a simplicity bodice pattern or, you know, just like a straight up shirt or something like that out of a craft book, it just doesn't look very good. It's not flattering. And so I really, that was sort of the goal there, um, was to sort of be able to make something out of quilting cotton that fit women. And then there was this additional pressure of, okay, now it's got to fit multiple sizes of women. And so that, I mean, that pattern, I mean, yeah, uh, I had already felt like pattern making and blogging was my job before that point. Um, I definitely, I mean, I started my business. I actually, you know, began the business in 2009. Um, so Washi came out in 2012, summer of 2012. Um, so I did feel like I had, I had, you know, enough security in the business aspect that I could work really hard. Um, you know, I could afford to put my kids in some childcare so I could work really hard on this pattern. But yeah, I mean, I busted my butt on that pattern for three months. Really? Um, just trying to figure out how to grade it and draw the darts correctly. I mean, the dart alone, I think I spent like a month on just like redrawing it, testing it, redrawing it, testing it, like playing with the angle, playing with the length and like just sort of even understanding the science of a dart. Like fundamentally, what does the length mean? What does the angle mean? And these are things that I hadn't learned in any sort of dressmaking or pattern making school because I hadn't gone to right. dressmaking or pattern making right. school. So, um, do you feel any sense of responsibility to have a lot of like a huge size um, scale? So like, do you do you offer I, a lot of dress, do, do you? Right, I'm going now, back to the same like core of feminism yeah. about like so, diving in, the, but. 
I mean, what I was doing at the time, I think, was looking at other pattern designers and saying, okay, how big does their size range go? And I was really kind of adopting that as well. Uh, it's, it's hard to remember this, but even just a few years ago, the size ranges that were considered acceptable for an independent women's sewing pattern were not as large. I mean, they're half as much as they are now. Mm. Um, and so, you know, even like, I'm trying to think of who was doing patterns and Colette was doing, Siri Mitnick um, was doing Built by patterns. Wendy. Uh, built by Wendy, yes. Mm -hmm. Built by Wendy was another one that I had made a few patterns from. And she was doing six sizes, I think. And Colette was maybe doing eight. I mean, it was a handful of sizes. I mean, not a lot. And so I kind of looked at their size charts and I thought, okay, um, you know, that's about what everybody else does. That's what I'll do too. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of thought that went into it. Um, but definitely now, I mean, we've, we've just uh, this past year worked on expanding our size range considerably. Um, I mean, when I say considerably, by a few sizes. Um, and even that's really hard to do. Um, but I really feel that need. Like, people really want to sew for themselves in all yeah. sizes. And so I really want to meet that need you know it's like you know it's not fair that you know if you're a bigger size or even a teeny tiny size you know it's like that you can't find things that fit so um that that is something I do really feel like you know I need I need to do and I really want to do now um at the time I guess I just sort of was sort of looking like at everybody else and just you know kind of figuring it out from there and so I did it, it is only still only six sizes something I would love to remedy um we've been talking about a curvy washi for many years um and and hopefully that'll become a reality soon but yeah definitely feel like that is something I'm really excited to see is how um you know plus sizing and sewing and curvy sewing has really um taken off in the last um, couple of years especially you so. now have a team of people you work with at what point did that become viable um it was it was viable pretty early on because and when I say early on uh I think Jess and Ellie both started working for me in 2012. No, Ellie started in 2011, and Jess started in 2012. Um, and, and what do so they do for you? They Okay, so Jess is my general manager, um, and she uh, works remote <laughs> from Missouri. Um, and at the time, I think she was in Washington, D.C., um, but they've since moved. Um but it was a it, it was always a remote relationship. <laughs> but she's my cousin, so we were related. I knew she needed work, and she had been very much into knitting, and she had worked for a knit shop, um, doing a lot of uh, knit stuff, um, newsletter stuff, uh, customer service stuff. Um, so she had this sort of experience in shop management. Um, and then my sister Ellie, <laughs> uh, so it's a family thing. Um, she is well. She was a. Um, graphic designer for the geological service, um, Indiana geological service, um, for a number of years. And she had done map layouts of oh, petroleum wow. maps and natural gas maps. Yeah. She had gone into geology. Um, and so she had all this experience with graphic design software. And so when she, um, her husband, uh, is a professor and they had to move for his job, a tenured position. Um, and so she could no longer work for the geological society. Um, I was like, okay, you have all this great experience with layouts. Um, you know, do you want to work on doing the pattern layouts? And so she she did a lot of my early kind of, you know, digital stuff and grading stuff when I realized that it was so time consuming, I just couldn't do it myself. Um, it was viable because I had had a hit pattern, a kid's hit pattern called the Big Butt Baby Pants in 
2009, I think. Are those the tiny hammer pants? They're no, they're not the tiny hammer pants. Because those are so cute. Those are so funny, aren't they? Um, Yeah, that's a free like download. I think it's just a little freebie. Again, it's just one side. Yeah. Um, The big web baby pants were a the answer to the cloth diaper problem for me. I cloth diapered my babies, and there weren't any patterns that had big enough room in the booty so they actually have like an extra insert in the back like an extra center panel in the butt um to kind of make more room for cloth diapers and that was a hit with a lot of people sewing for their kids and you know a lot of those people were being cloth diapering their kids too um so that pattern had really been pretty popular and so i was earning enough from that pattern i think to kind of continue doing um you know, uh, what we were doing with three people. And now when I say three people, we weren't all working full time either. And that was sort of by choice, you know, um, Ellie didn't want a full-time job. I didn't want a full-time job. Jess didn't want a full-time job. And and actually I wasn't able to offer her one in the very beginning. It was like maybe 10, 12 hours a week. So it started out really small. When I say I have a team, it was like, well, I had, you know, I had two children at the time I needed and wanted to spend some time at home with them. I didn't want to work full-time. But I also realized that the demands of the blog and the business were too much for just one person and um, and that it was worth the investment in paying other people, especially because they were people I trusted, you know, my sister, my cousin, yeah. um, and loved to really take over and, you know, do a lot of the stuff. And so now, even now, I mean, I'm really only working, you know, maybe... 16 to 20 hours a week um, currently and Jess works you know more than that um, and she she runs a lot of the show and I love that I love that I can spend you know three and probably this fall starting I'll go down to two days at home with Hugo my baby um, and and still have you know the sort of professional escape when I'm here at work you know so that I feel like okay I'm doing something really different and productive and you know that's that's a lovely balance to have people who you feel like you can trust to just sort of take it over and, you know, um, and do stuff for you. So, you know, in that same, that same interview that I referenced earlier, you also said that you got asked about life balance. And you also said that you were overwhelmed by everything. So you thought that you were the last person to ask about balance (laughs) and i hope that you can just give yourself mad props for what you just said what just came out of your mouth you know six years later because it seems like you've look nobody's fully figured it out but it seems like you've really made it work i i feel like i need to look into this whole general manager thing first of all i think like you might you might have tapped into something that i didn't even know that i needed um but i I just hope that you can stop and take that for yourself because okay yeah thank you that's a a (laughs) big deal and uh, that's honestly the number one question i get asked after all the you know knitting crochet craft questions or whatever is about how do you do it all yeah and i think we as women really owe it to each other to a, admit that we don't always do it well, but when when things do work well, tell each other about them so we can share that. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I feel the same way. I am so interested in how other people do it too. And I, <laughs> I, I always love the balancing posts, you know, when people talk about a day in the life or, you know, balancing work and, and home or, you know, kids and work or whatever. Um, those things are are always so interesting to me because I am, I feel like it is a journey and you're always sort of reworking and working, especially as children get older or they might go to school and things change when they go to school. Um, but yeah, yeah, thank you. I do, I do feel like it's, it's better. 
I think a big part of that for me was recognizing that I needed help. And, and I think that's a theme I hear from other women too, is this when I realized that I could give some of it to somebody else or outsource, you know, this part of my job or whatever, then things got easier. Um, I think another part of it was recognizing, and I, I give my husband credit for this, when I needed to not try and do it all, when he said, you know, I don't know if we can afford, you know, I don't know if your job is going to pay enough to pay for the childcare, but let's do it anyway. And there was a little bit of a leap there of like, okay, you love this and it makes you crazy that you can't do it and watch your kids at the same, you know, at, and watch our kids at the same time. So why don't we, you know, get a babysitter or put our kid in, you know, daycare or whatever. Um, and, and him encouraging me was really helpful because I, I don't know that I would have, you know, I felt comfortable doing that when it wasn't going to, like what I was going to do wasn't necessarily going to pay for that. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, and the other part I think was turning off screens and laptops in front of my kids. There was a, there was a turning point there too, that really helped, um, was recognizing this idea of like, okay, if the laptop is open in the room while I'm trying to watch my kids, then I'm not happy and my kids aren't happy and that needs to stop. And like figuring out like this very clear boundary between like, okay, now I'm working now I'm not working. Um, so I think all of those things really helped me to feel like, okay, I think this is a good system for me. <laughs> it's a good balance for me, right? <laughs> yeah. And that works for you. And it may not yes. work for someone else in that exact, you know, same formula. But yes, if we can, if we can share our formulas, and people can, you know, sort of pick and choose. Yeah, um, yeah. Just knowing what someone else yeah. is doing, you might think, oh, I like that that's a good idea, but okay, I don't think I could do that thing, but that's really smart, you know, and just sort of picking, yeah, picking and choosing and figuring out like, what's the right equation for you to, to do, you know, the things you want to do. Yeah. Well, Ray, I feel like I could talk to you for another hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. so Thank you so much for, you know, uh, too. for being so, so open, for oh, being yeah, so open so and sharing. Um, and I so look forward to seeing um, what's next for Made by Ray. Thanks for being well, here. Thank you, Vicki. <laughs> Ray's patterns, fabric lines, and sewing tutorials can be found through her website. For more info and photos of some of her designs, check out this episode's show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish. Thanks again to our sponsors, Maker Mercantile, who would like to celebrate Sewist Made by Ray by giving a 20% off discount on all Stenzo fabric through their website, makersmercantile.com. Stenzo Textiles provides high-quality, digitally printed fabric from the Netherlands. You can choose between cotton jersey and cotton poplin. This fabric will look fantastic with any of Made by Ray patterns. Just use code VickiMakes at checkout, and that offer is good through September 8th. If you like Craftish, please take a moment to give us a rating or review on iTunes. Podcasts survive and thrive pretty much solely via word of mouth, so your positive opinions really help us gain more listeners. As a side note, I also have a brand new website up at vickihell.com, and so as usual, you can find knitting, crochet, and craft projects and tutorials, but I'm mentioning it here because I've also teamed up with Spreadshirt, so now I'm able to offer a couple of different tote bags screen printed with the craftish tagline, Breathe and Craft Out, uh, on them. And you can check those out by going to vickihowell.com and just clicking on shop. Oh, and for you Texans out there, I'll be teaching at the Pinterest Pinners Conference in Dallas on September 9th and 10th. So if you're in the area, please join me. 
Info can be found through my blog or by going to pinnersconference.com and just clicking on Texas. Craftish is a Campbell production. It's produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. On the next episode of Craftish is duct tape artist Rochella Fabian Morgan. And that episode will go live next Thursday. Until then, though, take a little time to wallow in your own crafty awesomeness. Breathe in, craft out. Bye.